Um, it, you may know if, we, if you've been here the past few weeks, uh, we're in a series on respectable sins. Um, these are kind of like the subtler sins uh, that we don't see as being that big a deal. Uh, gossip, pride, unthankfulness, for example. Uh, today's topic is selfishness. Um, we're following a book by Jerry Bridges um, on respectable sins. Uh, he's got like a few little introductory chapters, and then before he turns to the specific sins, there's a little table of all the different sins, and you can tick uh, not an issue, occasionally a problem, often a problem, or ouch, that's me. Um, I actually read this one as a student about four years ago, and for all the sins related to selfishness, I take either not a problem or occasionally a problem, so you're in safe hands this morning. Um, we'll start by thinking about what selfishness is, uh, seeing what the Bible has to say about selfishness, and then we'll move on to four examples um, that Jerry Bridges says are particularly prevalent in the church. Um, I think it's pretty easy to make the case that we're all inherently selfish. For proof of that, you just need to sign up to crush. Uh, no child needs to be taught to steal another child's toys. Uh, and in, th- in fact, despite the best efforts of the parents, they're going to continue to steal until they see that the uh, kind of costs of getting put on the naughty step outweigh the benefits of uh, taking what they want. But as we get older, we start to learn that selfishness isn't really a good look. It's going to cost people's approval to be selfish. And so we just learn how to hide it. Um, now, this isn't sanctification, it's just social conditioning. This isn't the Holy Spirit putting to death our sin, it's just as learning how to hide it. We still put ourselves first, we still use others for our gain. Um, we're just a bit subtler than toddlers taking toys. Now, I started by telling you about uh, 20 year old me's self evaluation, uh, partly because I thought it was funny. Um, also, I think I've accidentally demonstrated what is so dangerous about selfishness, which is that it's much easier to see in others than it is in yourself. I'm sure for many of us, we wouldn't particularly call ourselves selfish, but then if you actually stop and consider, um, yeah, we might realise that we're more selfish than we think. Um, it's worth saying in passing that um, God, in his kind of common grace to all people, uh, it does restrain sin. No one is as bad as they could be. Um, and in his special grace towards believers, he's given us the Holy Spirit. He is at work in putting to death our sin. And so you don't have to feel equally convicted about every sin. Uh, you don't need to come away from every single one of these weeks going, oh, I'm so unthankful, or oh, I'm so prideful. Um, I'm terrible gossip. Um, and in fact, although I guess as conservative evangelicals, we can often uh, think that it's kind of holy to see ourselves as totally and utterly sinful in every way. That doesn't actually do justice to the Holy Spirit's work in our lives, to think like that. He is rightly glorified in us when we recognise that he has been at work in killing our sin. I say for some of you, it could be totally legitimate to say, yes, I'm a sinner, but my conscience is clear about selfishness. By God's grace, this isn't really something that I struggle with. There's a few uh, biblical examples of this. Samuel, at the end of his public ministry, gets up before the people and says, who have I cheated? Who have I oppressed? From whom have I taken a bribe? And the answer, no one. Similarly, uh, Paul, when he leaves Ephesus in Acts 20, he says to the elders, you know that I've served you with all humility. Uh, He says that he's shown them through his example how to help the weak and how to remember Jesus' words, it's more blessed to give than to receive. In other words, he stands before them and says, look, you know that I'm not selfish. He's not claiming to be sinless. This is Paul, who claimed to be chief of sinners. 
Uh, he's not claiming that he's justified by his works. This is Paul who taught justification by grace alone. He's just being honest when he says this isn't an area where he has sinned. His conscience is clear with regards to this one specific sin. So it might be completely fair for some of you to tick the not an issue box in the book. Having said all that, at the same time, sin is deceptive. Uh, Jeremiah 17 verse 9, the human heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? And so it's worth taking some time to sit under God's word and consider whether uh, selfishness really isn't an issue for us or whether we've deceived ourselves into thinking we're more selfless than we are. Um, so to that end, if you've got your Bibles with you this morning, um, turn to Philippians chapter uh, 2. Uh, that's going to be our key text for the rest of the morning. Um, I've got some uh, verses down on the sheet um, which just kind of bluntly put how seriousness, how seriously the Bible takes selfishness. Um, let you read them for yourselves. Um, but Philippians chapter 2, uh, verses 3 and 4, Paul calls the Philippians to count others more significant than ourselves, to look not only to our own interests, but also to the interests of others. That's um, huge, isn't it? That completely stands against everything that our culture will tell us. Don't love yourself. Count others more important. Don't sort out your own wants and needs first and then see what you can do for others. Um, look first to the interests of others. So call to a life that is other-oriented, not self-oriented. When we feel hungry, we never forget to feed ourselves. In the same way, when our brothers and sisters are in need, it should be that instinctive that we do something to help. Uh, now, these verses come to a sandwich between two positive reasons uh, why this is the way to live. Um, the top half, from verse 1, Paul says, If there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Uh, as Christians, we have the encouragement of all that Christ has done for us. We're comforted in his love. Uh, we share one spirit together. And so the kind of natural outworking of that is unity. Sharing that same love. Being all of one mind. Striking that Paul calls him to complete his joy. Um, isn't there enough to be joyful about in the gospel? Um, all that the Father, the Son and Spirit have done for us. And yet the wonder of the uh, joy of the gospel is that it's completed as the church lives it out in unity. Um, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. Uh, the second half of the sandwich, uh, it's got to be kind of up there with the greatest passages in all of scripture. Um, from verse 5, the oneness of mind comes to us in Christ, who though he was in the form of a servant, uh, sorry, though he was in the form of God, didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Taking the form of a servant, humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So the most wonderful example of selflessness, not grasping uh, even to the greatest thing that one could have, instead descending as low as it's possible to go, death on a cross, all for others. And how, how does God the Father see the Son in his selflessness? He delights in him. Therefore, for this reason, God has highly exalted him. The Father sees the Son's selflessness, and it brings him such joy that he exalts him, gives him the name above every name, 
And so we're called to imitate Christ's example for Christ's glory and for the Father's joy. And so we can start to see why selfishness is as serious as it's presented in those verses from Romans, uh, James and Timothy. If the gospel goes from Christ's love to oneness in spirit and on to selfless unity in the church, then it's a terrible denial of the gospel to claim to be those loved by Christ, indwelled by the spirit, and yet continue to put ourselves first. Um, the ultimate Christ-likeness is to imitate him in pouring ourselves out for others. But uh, when we act selfishly, we're kind of grasping at what we see as ours to try and bring us life and joy. Actually, Jesus came to give us life to the full, and he calls us to deny ourselves um, and follow him. True life and true joy isn't found in grasping all that is ours, but giving it up for others, following his example of emptying ourselves for others. It's a kind of counterintuitive gospel. Grasping at life brings death. Giving it up brings, for others brings abundance of life, fullness of joy, pleasures forevermore. And again, it makes no sense if we claim to be children of the Father, those who are loved by him and love him back, um, and yet live in a way that displeases him. He delights in Christ's selflessness, and yet we're self-centred. Um, if we want to bring him joy, we want to feel the wonder of the Father smiling down at us, and we ought to put others first. Um, but of course, the gospel isn't a rod for our backs. It's a comfort and joy to sinners like us. We aren't saved if we're selfless. The selfless Christ died to save the selfish. And so in a second, we're going to go in turn and look at four examples of um, selfishness. Uh, but we need to keep this in mind. This encouragement in Christ, this comfort from love, participation in spirit, this uh, security that we have, because the selfless saviour um, has died for us. It allows us to look our sin honestly in the eye, knowing that it's powerless to condemn us because Christ has already been condemned. So, yeah, we can be honest about our selfishness without fear, and we can ask the selfless saviour to put to death our selfishness. Um, so, four areas of selfishness that uh, Joe Bridges has picked out as being particularly prevalent in the church. Um, these are selfishness about interests, about time, with our money, and uh, kind of thoughtless selfishness. We'll stop to discuss these, by the way. Two, we'll do two and then discuss them, two more, discuss again. So, firstly, um, selfishness about interests. We've seen already Philippians 2, verse 4. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Uh, clearly, Paul is talking more bro- broadly uh, about people's needs and concerns, but it also can be applied narrowly to things that we are interested in. Have you ever been in a conversation with someone where you can just tell that they're not listening, they're just waiting for their chance to speak? Or have you ever been in a conversation where you're not really listening, just waiting for your chance to tell them what's on your mind? Uh, or maybe there's kind of topics of conversation which when they come up you just mentally switch off. Football, music, work, whatever. As soon as they bring it up, for you, the conversation's over. You'll ca- carry on standing there out of politeness, out of social convention, but as soon as they went on to, say, football, uh, your mind went elsewhere. Now, th- this may seem so minor. Why, why does it matter if we uh, aren't as interested in what someone else is? Um, well, as Christians, we're not independent individuals. We're members of one body. To use a pretty silly illustration, um, if the eye sees say, an arrow flying towards the arm, um, it doesn't go, oh, no need to move, I'm not getting hit. No, the, what's, uh, the body's totally united. 
something that's bad for one member is bad for all. Equally, what's good for one is good for all. We're united as brothers and sisters, and so one uh, expression of that is caring about what each other cares about. Looking not only to our own interests, but also to the interests of others. Um, equally, we're saying, if you're the kind of person who can dominate a conversation about uh, your own interests, then uh, we need to learn when to stop and when to listen to others. Uh, secondly, selfishness about time. I think this is a pretty common problem. We're all finite. We only have so much time. There's so much to do in a day. Um, for some of us, some of us will find it really hard to give up our time for others. Maybe one of the students needs someone to proofread an essay. Uh, maybe someone's double booked themselves on a rotor at church and needs someone to cover. It's not your problem. Uh, you've got enough to worry about yourself without taking on more. And crucially, you don't owe it to them to help. There's plenty of other people in church who may have more capacity. Why not let them sort it out? But again, we're called not to love ourselves, but to put others first. Uh, it's worth saying on the other side of this, there might be some of us kind of sitting pretty there. I'd probably put myself in this category. Um, it's not really fair to call us selfish with our time uh, because we're yes men and yes women who don't know how to say no. Um, this isn't unselfishness. It's that we're selfish and needing others' approval. We like to look good by doing too much and then people ask how we are and we go, oh, I'm busy, I'm tired. Um, and we get all the sympathy points. If our other commitments like relationships or devotional time or whatever, um, if they suffer as a result, at least we still look good. It's like the Pharisees kind of disfiguring their faces so everyone sees that they're fasting. We say yes to everything and then we're like, oh, just so busy. We're selfish in trying to do too much instead of letting the whole body serve the whole body. Okay, let's uh, stop and discuss those first two. Um, selfishness about interest and time. I've got some questions down on the sheet. Um, how do you see selfishness about interest in your own life? Um, have you been selfish with your time? And then try to think what, as well about um, why are we selfish in these ways? What are we either trying to gain or what are we trying to grasp hold of? What are we not willing to give up? Um, and then how does Christ's example call us to change? Okay, should we um, draw back together again? Okay, we'll um, move on to our next, next way in which uh, we can be selfish, which is um, selfishness about money. <clears throat> um, I'm sure we all agree, in theory at least, that every penny that we have comes from God's uh, and it's given to us to steward, not, so it's not really our money. Um, it's much harder to rem- remember that when you see it in your bank account, isn't it? Um, I'm not sure if this is just an issue for me or if it's more general, but in an age where we give via um, standing order, it can be quite easy to see that money which comes into your account and goes straight back out again as God's, and then everything that's left behind as mine. Um, I've, kind of, I've done my 10% or whatever, um, so whatever else I spend my money on is completely up to me. As I've been preparing for this, it's become apparent to me that how I use my money really does betray a selfish heart. Um, the way that my wife and I do our money is we, it all goes into a joint account for the bills and all of that. And then we get a little bit of pocket money in our private accounts for getting a pint or a coffee or anything like that. Um, on the rare occasions where I get to the end of the month and I haven't blown all the money um, and there's a bit more than I expect, uh, what do I do? I don't think, oh, great money. I didn't, I didn't realise I had. I can get tash and flowers or something like that. Or I'll get it out of an ATM so I can give uh, during the service. 
Uh, to my shame, not once have I done either of those. Um, I usually stop at the shops on the way home from work, get a whole bag of donuts, and eat them all on the way back. Um, now, there's nothing necessarily wrong with treating yourself to donuts, but maybe we need a week on gluttony. I guess it's not respectful enough. Um, but where our mind goes when we have money we didn't realise we had, uh, when you've put on a coat you've not worn for a while and find a tenner in the pocket, um, that could be revealing a selfish heart. Is our natural inclination to serve others or is it to serve ourselves? Um, and finally, uh, thoughtlessly selfish. Um, when we're so wrapped up in what we're doing, we don't stop to consider how uh, our actions affect others. It was um, arranging to meet someone at 10, but you're still in bed at 5 Um Or going, going to a cafe or a restaurant, making a bit of a mess, spilling some food, drink, um, and then just leaving, leaving it for the uh, wait staff to clear up. Or going around to someone's for dinner and leaving without offering to help wash up. Uh, or maybe it's making a joke about someone that you would find funny, but you've not stopped to consider how they're going to take it. Again, all of these we might not see as that big a deal. Um, and if someone confronted us about how it hurt them or even just kind of mildly inconvenienced someone, uh, we'd probably happily use the excuse that oh, I didn't even cross my mind. Um, and yet the Bible makes it clear that we should always be considering others. Philippians 2 again, do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility always count others more significant. Than, than yourselves. Like each of you look not only to his own interests, but to the interests of others. Um, so as Christians, we're always called to be considering others. It's not a valid excuse uh, to just let it slip your mind how your actions affect others. We're called to be other-oriented, not self-oriented. Uh, okay, on tables again, let's discuss those uh, two. Um, how are we selfish with our money? Does, the use of our, does our use of money betray a selfish heart? Uh, when do we forget to think about others? Um, and then how can we be less selfish with our money and our minds um, how does the gospel call us selflessness and give us a power to change uh, ok should we draw back together again <coughs> um, okay, hopefully as we've been thinking about what selfish- selfishness looks like uh, some of us have seen ourselves in these examples or maybe um, had some other ways in which we're selfish brought to mind. Um, but what, what do we do now? Do we just kind of stay in um, the conviction and not go anywhere with it? Um, Paul talks about the difference between uh, godly grief and worldly grief in 2 Corinthians 7. Worldly grief is where um, we feel bad about our sin, but that's as far as it goes. Um, you might try and pull your socks up, uh, do better next time, but without Jesus there's no forgiveness for the past sin. Without the Holy Spirit there's no power to truly change. Um, but the sign of godly grief <clears throat> is that it leads to repentance uh, to turning back to God again uh, 2 Corinthians 7 verse 10 for godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret uh, this conviction, and a, conviction of sin drives us back to the cross find forgiveness again and uh, washing away of our sin and regret um, from this point we can work out our salvation uh, in the power of the Holy Spirit to put to death our um, our sin and to walk in newness of life um, the gospel provides all the resources to kill our sin and become people who are more concerned about our brothers and sisters than ourselves uh, so let me read to, uh, Philippians 2 again as we close um, I'll start at verse 3 <clears throat> do nothing from rivalry or conceit 
But in uh, humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among you, which is yours in Jesus Christ, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. <laughs> being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, the glory of God the Father. Amen. Um, let's, do we need to turn around and hear move? Let's pray, let's pray, let's do that. <laughs> um, Dear Lord Jesus, thank you that you are uh, the selfless saviour. Thank you so much for um, that wonderful passage in uh, Philippians where we see uh, you didn't grasp to what was rightfully yours. Uh, you gave it all up. Um, you to take the form of a servant to make yourself obedient even to the point of death on a cross for us. Um, thank you that you've uh, paid the price for our selfishness. Um, and we've asked that you'll walk with us now. Uh, help us to be selfless people, to be uh, people always concerned about others. To your glory. Amen. <laughs>